0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: So this is like the conclusion of a discussion that the Rebbe had of many chapters How joy is an essential part of a Jew's life. You can't truly serve Hashem unless you feel a sense of joy. You feel good and you feel uplifted and you feel whole and you feel inspired because it's a constant struggle and joy gives you the edge. Joy gives you the energy that you need to be able to overcome difficulties. He discusses different uh, advice: um, how to accomplish joy, how to achieve joy. We just finished explaining that uh, the joy that a Jew has, knowing that you're constantly, you're constantly united with God through Torah, mitzvot, through our faith that we inherit, or the joy that a person has realizing that every time we study Torah, do mitzvot, you read your redeeming your soul, you're releasing your soul from, from its imprisonment. Imagine the joy a person would have if you were able to release a, a concentration camp inmate and you were given an hour a day, you could release it. That's the joy that you should feel. If a whole day, you're only studying Torah or doing a mitzvah for one hour a day, instead of feeling dejected, look how low my spiritual status is and look where I'm at and look how unrefined I am and look how gross and coarse and materialistic I am, on the contrary, the more coarse and the more gross and the more materialistic you are, the greater the joy. Imagine the joy of being able to release your soul from this concentration camp, from this terrible torture, this terrible pain. You're relieving the nishama of its unbearable agony. It's not bad enough that the nishama descended into this world, and for the soul it's a tremendous plunge into the abyss but in addition to add insult to injury you coarsened yourself and because of the poor choices that you've made imagine the agony that your soul is going through so on the contrary imagine the joy if you're able to relieve your neshama from its agony you're able to get it out of the fire just for a few moments to return it to its father's palace, return it to the king's palace return it to its home by studying Torah, doing mitzvot, imagine the tremendous joy that a person will feel. Also, the joy when a person realizes that you're fulfilling God's purpose, of God's joy through crushing the the uh, darkness and defeating the darkness and overcoming the darkness. Imagine the tremendous joy that we give to Hashem, and that gives you joy. Now, the question is a person also has to be realistic. That a person has to always have attention in his life. A person has to realize that the ego is a tremendous threat. If a person feels smug and content, and you become satisfied and arrogant and complacent, and you uh, lower your guard. The moment you lower your guard, then then it's all over. A Hasidic Rebbe once said, he says, you always have to live life like an edge. Imagine, he says, it's a has it wants to chop off your head. You have to, you have to, be. and so someone asked, what if I don't live with that tension, I don't feel it? So it means already, it's already chopped off your head. Yeah. You don't, if you don't live on the edge, if you don't have that sense of tension, that sense of. The moment you become complacent and the moment you become satisfied with yourself, I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Everything is wonderful. Everything is great. If a person feels spiritual mug, spiritually, if a person feels smug and content, then that that, that spells spiritual death. So a person has to feel. How does a person counter that sense of dullness, the dullness of the heart, or that sense of arrogance, or that sense of uh, complacency or foolish arrogance? A person has to be broken, as he explained, described earlier in the earlier chapters. And when a person is broken-hearted, when a person lives with a sense of tension, a sense of living an edge, and constantly being alert and sharp and awake, and that's how you break through the arrogance you don't allow the arrogance to get to you you don't lose your guard for one moment it's a war when you're in battle your senses are heightened a soldier could sense things that ordinary people can sense his sense of vision is heightened everything about him is heightened because he's, he's fighting for his life there's an edge there, there, there's a, uh, an urgency there's an adrenaline there's an energy that you feel well, life is a battle. Life is a struggle. Especially for ninety-nine for nine percent of us. Within VaynerBet. There's a constant tension, a constant struggle between the path of least resistance, the ego, and the godly soul that's constantly yearning and going upward, aspiring to go beyond itself. And there's this constant struggle, and this constant tension. And that tension is healthy. So on one hand, you're saying that a person should always feel joyful inspired, joyful, in a good mood, feel good about life, feel good, on the other hand you're saying a person should be broken or shattered, there's nothing more whole than a broken heart. It seems a contradiction, make up your mind, are you joyful, or are you broken heart? Which one is it? Do we both both? that's what Alter Rebbe is concluding this whole discussion in the last previous chapters and he's saying yes that a Jew is a paradox being Jewish means to live with paradoxes a Jew can cry and dance at the same time as we'll quote to Zohar that there are two parts of the heart there are two hearts one heart I'm crying and the other heart I'm dancing so only a Jew can live this paradise. Now, on one hand, we're completely broken and shattered. Completely broken and shattered about the exile, about the status quo, and specifically about our own personal exile. That insult to injury, and in general, in addition to the general exile, we live in a world that's coarse and gross and egotistical the satith- antithesis of godliness, godliness is hidden and concealed, and it adds insult to injury. We have our personal exile, our own personal choices that we make, to where our soul goes into exile. We can't get in touch with our neshama. We're alienated from our neshama. We we behave in ways, we do things that are contrary to our inner nature, our inner core, our inner essence. That violently opposes our true nature and true essence. So that's an exile within the within the exile. So on one hand, a Jew is shattered and broken-hearted about the exile and lives with a sense of urgency and yearns for redemption. What's the meaning of redemption? Not only that you should do the right thing, but redemption means that you don't even want to do the wrong thing. You want to do what's right. When you believe in redemption, you believe in the world there will be a time and there'll be a moment, and there'll be a world in which you won't even be tempted to do something self-destructive. Imagine a world where everyone was in touch with themselves. Everyone was in touch with their true core, their true nature. Deep down, everyone wants to do the right thing. And mother says, deep down, everyone wants to do the right thing. Push comes to shove in the moment of truth. We want to do the right thing. But we're not in touch with ourselves. Imagine a world where you're in touch with yourself. With your true nature not a not junk food junk lifestyle, but you want to live a wholesome life you want to do the right thing things that, that give you true satisfaction true nachas for yourself and from your behavior you sleep like a baby at night when you do the right thing you sleep like a baby at night when you don't do the right thing you're torn up inside make feel good and you make it may distract you but inside you're torn up. It only alienates you from yourself. You go deeper and deeper into exile, further and further away from the true nature. So imagine a world where you were in touch with yourself. You were consistent. Your inside is like your are outside. Your outside is like your inside. Completely consistent. Not only you did the right thing, you wanted to do the right thing. You were in touch with that part of you that wants to do the right thing. And you were repulsed by any junk behavior, self-destructive behavior. Imagine the world. That's the world of redemption. That's the world of, we, year, we yearn for. It shatters us that we don't live in that world. That we live in such a false world. A world where we're so out of touch with ourselves. The world is so out of touch with its nature, and we're out of touch with ourselves. It's a parody of It's so synthetic. It's so artificial. It's so superficial. It's so... so. It, it, you shatter her. It bothers you. It troubles you. So on one hand, your heart is broken. You can't take the exile. And every moment of exile is unbearable. And you're constantly yearning for the redemption. And you do whatever is in your power to hasten the redemption. To bring a closing for the exile. To end the exile one one moment sooner. But on the other hand, a Jew always feels joyful. You have to be joyful. You have to dance. You have to be excited. You have to be inspired. You're Jewish. You're part of the chosen people. Every human being has a divine mission in this world. A divine purpose. You're connected. You have the Torah. You have the mitzvot. You have a divine spark. How could you, how do you reconcile that? How can you be both joyful, cr- cry, and dance at the same time?
0: From the end of chapter 30 up to this point, the Alta Rebbe discussed various forms of joy which one ought to strive to attain when saddened over his spiritual shortcomings. The joy of one's soul on its being released from exile within one's body and animal soul the joy of being close to God through awareness of his unity, the joy occasioned by contemplating God's joy in the crushing of the sitra achra, and so on. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to state that all these forms of joy do not conflict with the bitter remorse and sadness that one experienced over one's spiritual failings. For although joy and sadness are opposites, they can nonetheless coexist when each has its own distinct cause. All the specific types of joy enumerated above do not preclude one from being shamed and despised in his own eyes or from having a broken heart and a humble spirit even at the very time of his joy. For the shame and so on is prompted by one's awareness of the lowliness of his body and animal soul while his joy is felt on account of his divine soul and the animating spark of godliness clothed within it, as mentioned above in chapter 31.
1: It has two different sources. The source of your brokenness is the state of your ego, the state of your animal soul. The animal is an animal. It's instinctive. And it behaves like an animal. Like a, chi- like a bull in a china shop just tramples over everything as precious doesn't dif- make distinctions doesn't differentiate between right and wrong and, and it's very superficial and very external the animal being an animal is being itself so that's the cause of your that's why you're broken that's why you're shattered that you have that within you you're not proud of it you're not complacent about it and you don't make peace with it the moment you make peace with it then you, know, you have to fight it it disturbs you it troubles you it bothers you you're not you're not satisfied so you're broken you're not happy with the status quo you feel inadequate And that's the source of all spiritual growth. The source of all spiritual growth is, when does a person search? When does a person seek for spirituality? If you're complacent, if you have a sense of adequacy, then there's nothing wrong with my life. Everything is perfect. Well, I'm not looking for anything. I'm not searching for anything. I'm not hungering for anything. There's no hunger. There's no appetite. I don't need anything. I'm perfect. I'm wonderful the way I am. So I'm a stone. I'm a spiritual stone. Unmoving, unmovable, uninspired. So what? a person who's happy being the animal, then, then, that, then that, that spells spiritual death and it's all over. The beginning of all spiritual growth is a sense of inadequacy. You're troubled. You're dissatisfied. You're not content. You're not happy. Something bothers you. Something is missing. So that's the source of being shattered and feeling brokenhearted. Why am I joyful? That comes from another source. The reason I'm joyful is because I have a divine soul I have a divine spark I have a piece of the divine essence inside of me and I don't control that divine spark that divine essence that comes directly from Hashem there are no human fingerprints in that divine spark just like I can't control God I don't control my neshama the neshama is pure that pinterly, that divine spark remains intact and whole and pure and no matter what happens no matter what choices I make I can violate all 613 mitzvah. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. That spark remains whole, remains intact, remains pure. So when you realize the gift that you have, this tremendous gift, that we're believers, the children of believers, and we inherited this faith, which is worth more than all the money in the world, we're the wealthiest, the greatest treasure that our parents gave us so you rejoice with that and no one can take away that joy from you even you can't take it away from yourself no matter what spiritual state you're at no matter what level you're in it makes no difference it doesn't matter that spark is there and that spark is whole and that spark that relationship is pure and deep and it has a life of its own how a divine spark has a life of its own we don't control it and we surely don't limit it we have a life of its own so that relationship with Hashem is alive it's a live wire it's vibrant it's dynamic and when you realize that and you acknowledge that that gives you tremendous joy because that connection you're born of that connection it's innate, it's inherent you can't destroy it you can't diminish it one iota so when you realize that you have this treasure this this deep connection with Hashem that gives you joy no matter what unconditional joy and that becomes the source, the foundation of your identity. Your sense of self-esteem, your self-confidence. That's what gives you the confidence. That's what gives you the esteem. That's what gives you your sense of uh, assuredness to go forward with a sense of joy, with your head held up high, with pride. Not proud as an arrogance, but pride, Jewish pride. To be proud, to be alive, to be proud of who you are. Be proud of your Jewishness. Proud of your connection, and to carry yourself with strength, with dignity, with pride, and with energy, and not to be impressed by the external and by the obstacles. So these two can live, can go simultaneously hand in hand, because they're coming from two different sources. The pride is from the divine spark. It's not from my. It's not from my ego. And the feeling of shatteredness or inadequacy or the feeling of brokenheartedness comes from the coarseness of of my ego, of my animal self, my instinctive self, my bodily self, which can only think about one thing, only thinks about one thing, self-preservation, I, perpetuating the ego, perpetuating the I. And that gives you a sense of of brokenheartedness. But the divine spark, the the pure divine spark, that only gives you joy. And that gives you nachs. So you can cry
0: and you can dance at the same time.
1: And he brings the, the Zohar. Continue.
0: We find a similar statement in the Zohar. Quote, weeping is lodged in one side of my heart and joy is lodged in the other. End quote. Rabbi Elazar exclaimed these words upon hearing from his father, Rabbi Shimon, an esoteric exposition on the destruction of the temple. On the one hand, he now felt even more keenly the enormity of the tragedy. On the other hand, he was filled with joy over the secrets of Torah being revealed to him. We thus see from the Zohar that two opposite emotions stemming from separate causes can exist in one's heart side by side.
1: So the Zohar says, it's very apropos to the time period that Rabbi Shimon Bayekhoi, the author of the Zohar, revealed to his son uh, the secrets of the temple and how tragic it is that the temple was destroyed. So on one hand he was he was he felt he felt a keen pain because now for the first time he truly understood the meaning of the destruction of the temple how precious it was that we had the temple, and now that the temple is missing. So he cried with a renewed, profound uh, sense of loss. But on the other hand, he was also excited. He was stimulated and excited. The Father revealed such secrets of the Torah. The first time he understood what the temple is. So he cried and he laughed at the same time and he danced at the same time. Because the heart, that's the heart that the Jews' heart were able to cry cry and to dance at the same time. There's no one that cries like us and there's no one who has that joy and faith and optimism. Doctors will tell you that the Jewish patients are from the most optimistic patients. It's so ingrained in us that sense of optimism, of hope, of faith, belief that things will be better, and even when things appear to be hopeless, to pick ourselves up after Holocaust and to rebuild our lives and to go forward. I mean, after having an experience, a crushing experience, that, uh, you know, you didn't expect anyone to stand up afterwards. And yet, immediately to pick, pick themselves up, that generation was able to pick themselves up and to rebuild Scratch all over again. So there's a tremendous sense of hope and faith. And it's that faith and hope that kept us going for 3,800 years. Next year in Jerusalem, Shana Habav Yerushalay, that hope that no matter how negative things are, no matter how dark things are, Hashem could help in one split second and things can turn around 180 degrees and miracles, not only miracles could happen, it's inevitable that they will happen. Change is inevitable. It's not only the possibility of change. We believe in the possibility of change, we, but Jews believe in the, that change is inevitable. And this is so deeply ingrained in us. From the beginning, from the exodus from Egypt, the very birth of the Jewish people, we witnessed, we experienced change firsthand, 180 degrees, from an impossible situation where even a slave couldn't leave Egypt. And one split second, in that moment at midnight, when Hashem revealed Himself, everything turned around 180 degrees. That they were freed, the Egyptians urged them to leave, and also a spiritual change. What a radical change! Here they reached the 49 levels of impurity, and in one split second, in that moment, that Hashem revealed Himself to them. 50 days later, they stood at Mount Sinai, reaching the 50th level, the 50th gate of purity, face to face with Hashem, revelation at Sinai. What a drastic change! Who would have believed that here they were in the lowest point? They reached their nadir. If they would have remained in Egypt another moment, they would have reached the 50th level of impurity. They would have been assimilated and lost forever. And look at this dramatic change. One second. So it's ingrained in us. The sense of optimism, the sense of hope, the sense of faith. The belief in redemption and the belief that redemption is not only possible, that change is not only possible, but change is inevitable. This is the theme of the entire Torah. From the beginning, from Adam, from Adam and Hava that change and that we are the agents of change we are the ones who cause the change through our behavior, through our actions even through our attitudes we are the ones who affect the change we cause the change so it's deeply ingrained in us that change is possible and that redemption is inevitable it's not a question of if is Mashiach going to come it's inevitable the question is when it's up to us so on one hand there's a tremendous faith and hope and optimism why Jews march into the gas chamber singing an imam? I believe with complete faith Eloise L said when he was in the concentration camps he said he saw he, he had a taste of Mashiach he said three times in his life he said, as a child they were all walking to the concentration camps he says everyone was walking together the whole entire Jewish community. Religious, non-religious, Orthodox, non-Orthodox. Everyone together. Old, young, rich, poor. He thought we were all marching towards to, to Mashiach. Look, the entire Jewish people are all here together, united. There was no differentiation, no barrier. One Jew to the other Jew. Then he says, after the Six-Day War, he went to Yerushalayim. Everyone came streaming to the Western Wall. The entire country, the Jews came from all over the world. You saw everyone from left wing kibbutznikers, everyone, there was no political divisions. You saw everyone streaming toward Jews. And he says he was in Moscow, the first stirrings of the Baltruva movement as a result of the Six Day War. People came out in the streets, tens of thousands of young Jews who were under the communist regime for over 50 years and suddenly something was kindled their Nishama was kindled and they came together to dance so it's so deeply ingrained in us a sense of hope optimism no matter what crushing experiences we go nothing can crush our spirit that indomitable spirit that joy that faith On the other hand, a Jew is restless. That's why all the great revolutionaries, who all Jew, Jewish, the Jew has a restless soul. You can't make peace with the status quo. It's not enough. It's inadequate. You have to radically transform, change, recreate, create something new. We're not content not satisfied we're broken we're crushed we're sensitive it bothers us it troubles us we can't just make peace with the status quo settle we can't settle the picture is crooked something is wrong something is off we're very unsettled we have turbulent souls very unsettled dissatisfied discontented yearning seeking searching most of the times we don't know ourselves what we're looking for but we're looking we're just not happy a Jewish soul is not happy and of course we'll never be happy until they find what they're really looking for what are they really hungering for what are they really yearning for and looking for for godliness so running off to some Tibetan mountain that's not going to satisfy the Jewish neshama the Jewish soul so there's a restlessness is a sense of feeling crushed broken and discontent and dissatisfied and that's why that's why we seek that's why we seek with such with such intensity with such a hunger because only someone who has this need this very deep need and this very deep sense of dissatisfaction that's why the Jew is the teacher of the world a good teacher is not only someone who teaches his students information that's not a teacher you don't need a teacher to teach you information you go to the library a teacher is someone who teaches his students how to be a student the teacher himself is a student the teacher has a deep need he has a restless soul he's hungry for knowledge he has a deep need to know. The knowledge that the teacher gets is like, it's like fresh water on a parched soul. The greatest teacher is the one who has the greatest hunger and need. And it's, the knowledge to the teacher, it's as if his life depends on it. And that's what he communicates to his students. He turns his students into lifelong students. that they also have this urge, this hunger, this need. very deep deep need to know so the Jews are the teachers of the world because we have this deep need it's very infectious this restlessness this, this sense of being incomplete the sense that something essential is missing, something is off something is wrong with the status quo we can't settle for the superficial abnormal state of reality that we call reality of the status quo so a Jew is able to cry and dance at the same time Now they said about the Baal the founder of the Hasidic movement that it says about Hashem it says a tzaddik is compared to God the reflection of Hashem and it says about Hashem Hashem is infinite. So on one hand, He's so infinite that He reaches the highest point, but He's also infinite that He can reach the lowest point. Meaning, Hashem could totally reveal Himself in the most revealed way, without any limitation, because He's infinite. And Hashem could also conceal Himself and be completely concealed all the way to t- till, till an infinite level. He's so concealed, without any limitation, absolutely concealed, completely concealed. Simultaneously. So, the Baal Shem Tov, the tzaddik, the pillar of the world, who is a reflection of Hashem, also contain these two attributes. On one hand, the Baal Shem Tov felt greater than the greatest king. Imagine the most powerful, the wealthiest person on earth. Imagine how they, how they feel, right? Imagine someone who's worth $80 billion. Imagine how he feels, king of the world, the top of the world. It was nothing in comparison to the way the Baal Shem Tov felt. Being a a Jew in this world, representing Hashem, he felt wealthier and felt on top of the world. He felt wealthier than the wealthiest and the most powerful human being on earth. On the other hand, Balsamte felt shattered and broken, the poorest person, the most dejected person, the person who was in the lowest lowest level. As broken as that person was, it was nothing in comparison to how broken the Baal felt. And this was simultaneous. So on one hand, the joy and the strength and the resolution of the Baal was in the highest level. On the other hand, the way he felt the inadequacy and shattered and broken and about the status quo, and the hunger that the had, and the need that he had, the deep need and the deep hunger that he had, and that he yearned for, for godliness. And that's why he was able to infect all the students. That's why the Valsham was able to infect millions of Jews. It was so contagious, his enthusiasm, and his need for godliness, for something godly. As if his life depended. on And he was able to inject this enthusiasm into millions and millions, the majority, the overwhelming majority, the majority of Eastern European Jews. From its greatest greatest geniuses and its greatest teachers and Kabbalists and rabbis to the simplest Jews. He swept up most of Eastern European Jewry with with his enthusiasm. It was so contagious. His relationship with God and his connection and his living, vibrant relationship. So for a Jew, these two go hand in hand. Because even when, a, when your heart is broken, and your heart is shattered, this is not depression. It has nothing to do with depression, as he said earlier. Depression is absolutely forbidden. Depression just crushes you. Depression crushes your spirit. Here he's talking about Bitterness bitterness is not crushing your spirit as he explained earlier but when you're bitter you're motivated you're motivated to change you're motivated to grow you're motivated to seek out to yearn to learn so it's a very powerful motivation and this is the paradox of our generation on one hand we are at the last moment of exile as the Rebbe would always say, that we are a unique generation. There never was a generation like ours, never will be. We're unique in Jewish history. We are a transitional generation. We are the last generation of exile, and we will be the first generation of redemption. We are going to see the rebuilding of the Third Temple, and the ingathering of the exiles, and the fulfillment of all the prophecies and all the promises that God made. In the Torah, there's no question. So on one hand, we live with this tremendous sense of joy. With the knowledge that we are on the threshold. That we are at the last moment. Any moment we're going to enter into the door and make that transition. And we're going to talk about the exile in the past. but the exile was a moment previously because Mashiach has already arrived. It's going to happen. That moment is going to happen. There will be a dramatic transformation that will make this world unrecognizable when this world will become whole and enlightened and peaceful and kind and good and godly wholesome when people will be in touch with their true selves the true core, the true essence, the true nature when you will be repulsed by behavior that's self-destructive imagine such a world that's not a dream, that's a reality that's the world that we're about to make a transition into so just knowing that gives you a tremendous sense of joy you start dancing you're dancing with joy knowing that we're moments away. We're in the twilight zone. With all the confusion that that comes along. The brilliant flashes of light, and at the same time, intense darkness like we've never seen before. So on one hand, it brings out, it evokes a tremendous sense of joy. Knowing that we're living in a very special generation. Knowing that we are the transitional generation that we are going to witness and experience this dramatic transformation. Imagine a world that's wholesome. a world where you have all the energy that you need, clean energy, and there's no poverty because there's enough energy and to provide all the food that you need in abundance, where six billion people, all of them could live in the, with abundance and with wealth and health and longevity, without illness. I mean, this is the world that we're about to make a transition into. You can already see the outline. So just knowing that gives you tremendous joy. So it leads one to, to, to live with the dance. But on the other hand, we're also crushed by every moment. Because every moment of this, of this exile is intolerable. On the contrary, knowing that we're so close. And the darkness persists and doesn't budge and stubbornly persists. And it seems to go on and on, no matter, despite all our efforts, no matter what we do. It hasn't budged, it seems, it hasn't budged one iota of anything. In certain respects, things are going backwards. Look at the destruction of the family. Look at the destruction of any greater sense. You know, the dumbing down of society everything has become so petty synthetic artificial superficial external this is spiritually oppressive and intolerable and it crushes you and it bothers you and you can't make peace with it so on one hand you cry because you're crushed by the exile the darkness of the exile and at the same time, simultaneously you're dancing. You're, saying you're dancing and you're crying at the same time. This is what Hashem expects of us. What else is new? We square the circle. It's a square and the circle at the same time. We cry and we dance at the same time. And what's true of, of on the cosmic level is also true on a personal level. We have our inner exile spiritual exile and we have our inner spiritual redemption the divine spark that's that's the redemption that's the godly spark that's whole that's perfect it's intact 100% the ego the animal soul that pulls us downwards the force of gravity is pulling us downwards the path of least resistance that's the darkness we feel crushed. So on one hand, we cry in pain. We're hurt by the status quo. We're broken. Our hearts are shattered into a thousand pieces. Not complacent, not satisfied for a deep need and a deep hunger and yearning to change and to grow and to rise above the darkness, become better. There's that incessant human yearning to become better, to change. That sense of curiosity, always want to grow and expand our horizons and push the envelope and challenge ourselves. And... We're upset by that part within us that's schlepping us down. That part within us that's pulling us, no, just, just go go to sleep, just fall asleep spiritually and just make peace with the status quo and stop exerting yourself and stop trying so hard and stop. Just make peace with yourself. So that's that there constant struggle with that part within us. I will never make peace with that part within us and we're crushed by it and at the same time simultaneously we're joyful we're hopeful we're proud we're optimistic we have endless energy abundance of energy boundless energy we're tapping into a nuclear energy source it's inexhaustible within us divine spark peace of the Hashem inside of us it's like God is infinite that divine spark within us is also infinite And the joy is also infinite and enables us to rise up, to go forward confidently that we will triumph. Inevitably, we will achieve redemption. Inevitably, we will be whole. The world will be whole. This conflict will not go on forever. So, we're joyful. So, even before it happens, we're joyful we're joyful today just knowing that it will happen especially today when we know that it's, in, it's, it's any moment it's imminent but at the same time for that very same reason we're crying so a Jew who doesn't cry on the exile doesn't bother him then something is wrong just like a Jew is not joyful, who's not inspired, enthusiastic, excited, there's also something wrong. If you don't have that faith in redemption, if it doesn't inspire you, then something is wrong. In the other hand, if the exile doesn't bother you, then there's something wrong if all you're doing is dancing but there's no sense of reality and you're dancing as if Mashiach already came and there's no sense of reality and there's no sense of urgency and there's no it doesn't bother you that something is wrong then, then there's, there's, there's a disconnect there's a disconnect You know, to be human is to be in touch with the human condition. The human condition is a very tragic condition. It's filled with contradictions. So on one hand, if you're truly in touch and you're truly connected, you have to be in touch with reality, and your own reality, and your own limitations, and your own difficulties, and problems, and all too human problems. It has to bother you. And at the same time, You can't allow it to to bog you down, to depress you, to crush you. At the same time, you have to be joyful, proud, optimistic, and go forward confidently. Yes, it's a battle, it's a war, it's constant tension. But when soldiers go into battle, they go marching. You know, when soldiers go into battle, they have a band. you imagine? You're going to die. And you have a band playing joyful music, cheerful music a march famous marches Napoleon marches you're going to battle you're going with a triumphant cheerful march this is the most serious thing in your life you may not come out alive but it's a key it's an essential part of battle to go with confidence confidence in in the cause that you're fighting for confidence in the knowledge that you will win and that you will be victorious that's an essential part of the victory you can't be victorious unless you go forward confidently and joyfully So you can't just be crushed and then bitter and and, then yeah. Also, where's that cheerfulness, that joy, that march, that breaking out of boundaries, that sense of wholeness? But at the same time, there's also a a sense of seriousness. This is a life and death moment. You're dealing here with urgent, urgent matters. You're sharp. You're alert. This is serious. So you're serious and you're dancing at the same time. This is the paradox. The Jew is able to cry and is able to dance at the same time. And that's how we lived our life. 3,800 years. One Hasidic Rebbe says, he says, on one hand I carry in my heart, which says the whole world was created for me. And the other the other part I carry in my heart the verse that says that you are from dust you will return to dust that you're nothing so on one hand you're nothing you're insignificant on the other hand the whole world was created for you you're the center of the universe you are in the command and control of the whole universe you're in the driver's seat the whole universe depends on you the higher realms the spiritual realms the way you think and the way you speak and the way you act and the way you walk down the street and you carry the whole universe single-handed the whole world is created for me And you single-handedly have the power to tip the scale and to transform the whole universe, not only the physical world, the upper realms, the higher realms, the spiritual realms, the angelic realms, even the divine realms. On the other hand, I'm nothing and I'm insignificant and I'm a nobody. And yes, this checks your pride and your arrogance and your ego, keeps you honest keeps you human and humane and down-to-earth and real, realistic. And the other one keeps you connected to heaven and keeps you going forward with zest, with zeal, with zest, with enthusiasm, with energy to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish. And then even the bitterness becomes a motivating force. You're bitter about the status quo and therefore it gives you a tremendous hunger, a yearning that you want to change, you want to transform you want to become you want to improve yourself, you want to you're curious, you have a hunger to know and need to know and need to grow, a restlessness and it keeps you balanced and this is the balance that a person needs in life in order to succeed in life, a person needs a balance. you need love and you also need the opposite you need a sense of awe what people call a, a little stage fright a person who loses any good actor will tell you the moment they lose I think, I think Ronald Reagan once said even every time he speaks he gets butterflies in his stomach. because the moment you lose that you're finished you're all over because that's what keeps you grounded that's what keeps you honest they say there's two pilots you should never fly with. The two worst pilots. The worst pilot and the best pilot. The worst pilot for obvious reasons. The best pilot because he becomes arrogant and he's the most dangerous. A person who's so sure of himself, a person who becomes so cocky and so sure of themselves. there's no sense of fear and there's no sense of that person is, has lost it. So you need to be Grounded. And it's that, that humility and that sense of humbleness that keeps you down to earth, it keeps you grounded, it keeps you real, it keeps you human. On the other hand, the joy helps you soar and go forward. So this is the recipe for life. A contradiction, a paradox. But so is life. Everything in life is a paradox. Everything in life is a contradiction. Just being alive is a paradox. Because body and soul is the ultimate paradox. What's the connection between a body, a physical material being, and a soul, which is pure energy? There's no connection. So life itself is the ultimate paradox. So that's life. Life is a paradox. We're not shy of paradoxes. That's that's our that's our norm. The miracles we do instantly, and the impossible takes a little longer. So the true life is impossible, that's our norm. So what, else, what else What else? were we chosen for? To do To do the possible. We were chosen to do the impossible. To live the ultimate paradise. To be t- totally grounded, firmly grounded in this world. And yet at the same time, to be connected to something as completely transcendent from this world. And to yearn and to hope and to dream for Mashiach for the ultimate redemption, a world which which will be completely transformed, a world which will be completely wholesome and enlightened and good and kind and beautiful. This world, not some otherworldly reality in heaven, this world, imagine this world, six billion people will be completely transformed. Life as we know it will be completely transformed. And to us this is the most practical thing in the world. And we yearn for this. This vision has been etched into our being. And that's why we're so brokenhearted, because we can't make peace with anything else. When you see the painting is crooked, you know it's crooked. Why do you know it's crooked? Because you have a, a sense of the way things should be. Why do we feel more than anyone else, so keenly? Why are we so sensitive to the fact that the world is so broken? Exactly. 'Cause we have a vision of the way things should be, a perfection. So when you see the complete breakdown of the family today, you see the complete how unnatural it is, how so synthetic and unnatural. Just like you have drunk food today, you have a drunk lifestyle. Just because just because that has become the the norm doesn't mean that it's normal or it's good or it's whole or it's it's just completely. We can't make peace with it. We can't settle for it because we know. We know the truth. We know that there's something much deeper, much truer. It's broken, and we can't settle for for this. It's dysfunctional. When you see the complete breakdown of the family, the complete dysfunctionality this, this of the family relationships. That, and you know something very core and essential is, is broken in society. Something very core is missing. We have all the externals, but the soul is a complete breakdown. And we know that this is not what life has to offer. There's so much better. Just because it's politically correct doesn't make it any, any, any doesn't change anything. So we can't settle for the status quo. Because it's etched into our being we have a vision of the way things should be the way things could be the way life could be the way societies could be the way people could be where the world could be and inevitably this vision will be realized because it's the truth it's our truth deep down that's our nature deep down we all want to do the right thing we all want to be wholesome that's why we're so broken that's why we 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 can't settle and for that very same reason we're also joyful for that very same reason because we know we know the way that inevitably that vision will be realized and that faith and that hope and that faith and that trust in the redemption that's what keeps us going That's the joy, that's a tremendous joy that keeps us going forward.